Juliet Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 170 of Dogcast Radio. You can find this and every Dogcast Radio episode along with a host of dog-related information at our website www.dogcastradio.com. And in this episode, we talk to Sally Gutteridge about her article, 10 Reasons Not to Copy Caesar Milan. Do you know, Julie, I don't know whether he knows how bad his training is, Hmm. or does he know and just won't admit that he's wrong and make changes, or does he actually believe in everything that he's doing? I don't know. We also have the Dogcast Radio News. But before all that, we talk to Dr. Patrick Mahaney, who is Los Angeles's premier concierge house call veterinarian and also provides holistic treatment for cancer patients at the Veterinary Cancer Group. Allergies can make life miserable for dogs and owners alike. Fortunately, Patrick has some advice to help our dogs. So the first thing I asked Patrick was, do many dogs have problems with allergies? Many dogs do, and it can be for so many reasons. And here's part of the complicated nature of skin allergies in both dogs and cats, is that the skin is the body's largest organ. So as a result, it can be affected by both internal factors and external factors. So what may actually seem to the owner to be allergies actually could be a whole host of other problems that could clinically appear like allergies. Hmm. Um, and allergies really, um, we don't want to just only think about the skin with allergies. We want to think about other organ systems too, like the eyes, the respiratory tract, um, the gut, the digestive tract, the stomach and intestines are all potentially going to be negatively impacted by allergens because allergies are not always just environmental. They could be food-related. And so depending on your particular pet, their overall health, and the allergens to which they've been exposed, either in the environment or in food, we can see clinical signs of allergies. Yeah, yeah. So what do we, because obviously it would be handy if our, if our dog could come over and say, oh, excuse me, my nose isn't feeling good, or, I'm just, or you know, my eyes are a bit itchy, whatever. Unfortunately, they can't. So what do we need to be looking for? Well, it's really common, I think, for owners to be able to discern what they're seeing in their pet in terms of allergies because a lot of times we humans are experiencing the same or similar clinical signs. So a lot of times we think of seasonal allergies, maybe in the spring or the fall, we think of of them irritants to our eyes and our nose. So that'd be watery red eyes, maybe kind of scratchy (coughs) eyes or having nasal discharge, like sneezing, Mm -hmm. nasal discharge, sneezing, coughing, just like you're doing right now. I know, I'm so sorry. (laughs) And uh, so so we have to have those things, those kind of more obvious signs. And you're going to see the same thing in your pet. I mean, our dogs and cats walk on the ground and really um, closely evaluate their environment with their noses and Mm. their faces. And so as a result, they're going to get a lot more dust and debris and potentially pollens and other allergens in the environment into their eyes and noses, and you'll see redness to the eyes, maybe some eye discharge, possibly nasal discharge, possibly sneezing. So um, so a lot of the same signs people exhibit are exhibited by pets. Yeah, yeah. I know one of my, um, one of my friends has a dog who's sort of really miserable with allergies at the moment. And as soon as I knew we were doing this interview, I knew I wanted to help her out. And it really does, obviously it's affecting the dog, but it's making her really, really miserable. She wants to help the dog, obviously. So when we see these signs in our dogs, what should we do? 
Well, um, part part of it depends on how severe are the clinical signs. Are the mm-hmm. clinical signs severe enough that they're noticeable, or they're actually really bothering your pet? Um, if they're noticeable, then either we have to think: is it allergies, or could it be something else? And is it bothering your pet to the point that? They're always like coughing, sneezing, rubbing their eyes, licking, chewing all over their body. And generally, I think if it gets to the point that we're seeing some kind of clinical sign, we're wondering what should we do. We actually should do something and the Mm -hmm. dog should go to the veterinarian for at least a physical examination. Um, The vet can talk to the owner about the history of what's happening. Is this a new problem? Is this an ongoing problem? Is it something that has come and gone in the past? Is there a seasonal nature to it? And then if needed, you can do testing to help to determine um, what are we dealing with? Are we dealing with allergies? Are we dealing with infection? Are we dealing with something else? And that way, the most appropriate treatment can be uh, administered because we don't always want an owner just to say, okay, my pet has an allergy. I think I'm going to go over the counter and get like mm. a decongestant or something like that when actually decongestants can be very toxic to some animals, human decongestants. So it's really important that pet owners work collaboratively with their veterinarians to establish a diagnosis and the most att- appropriate treatment can be pursued. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're very lucky now and our, our, our dogs are very lucky now because it seems to me there's never been so many treatments in on many levels for dogs. So what kind of... Um, treatments are available if we don't just want to sort of do a, a congestant a decongestant even if it is a one suitable for dogs what kind of sure. things can we do um so a part of it really depends on what the individual dog's needs are in terms of getting allergy treatment so kind of very simple allergy treatment would be giving something like an antihistamine and there's a variety of antihistamines available both that veterinarians can describe uh, prescribe or that are available over the counter so that's a good thing that an owner can talk to their vet about um, should my dog get something like an antihistamine or could they get something like a decongestant, which could be a tablet or could maybe be even something that's put into the dog's nose as a decongestant. Sometimes those can help too. Um, but occasionally say we have an issue like with skin inflammation, then we might have to think about something like um, either over the counter or prescription shampoos. Hmm. Um, in the, in those cases, if we have special shampoos, like what shampooing does is it helps to remove allergens from the skin surface. And when you remove the allergens from the skin surface, that greatly helps with overall skin inflammation. Um, Occasionally, prescription shampoos will have something like a mild steroid in it that could help with inflammation. Or um, occasionally, when we are dealing with allergies, as a result of the inflammation on the skin surface, it creates moisture. And you add moisture to the warmth of the skin surface and you can create a nice breeding ground for bacteria and yeast. So we might need a shampoo that kills bacteria or kills yeast. Or we could need something like an injection or a tablet or something like that that helps to kill bacteria and kill yeast. Um, So there's so many things that could, could potentially be for treatment. And also, say we were determining that, okay, this dog might have a chronic recurrent allergy is it from the environment or is it from food we have to we might have to think about changing the dog's diet off of its current protein source to a novel protein and novel carb novel carbohydrate combination like say your dog is his whole life eaten like chicken and lamb as protein and maybe rice or corn as as a carbohydrate source we might need to put them on something like duck and potato or venison and swim pea or um, do some kind of home-prepared diet that just has a very specific um, novel protein like pork or something like that. And so we might have to kind of work through that process where we're doing a food elimination trial. And some pets even get allergy-specific treatments where their blood 
helps to dictate the allergens in the environment that they might be allergic to. And uh, the treatment could be a spray that goes in the mouth or an injection that goes under the skin to help to desensitize them over time to the environment. So ultimately, they would hopefully need less medication to control their signs. Wow, that's that's a really sophisticated. Yeah, gosh, that is sophisticated, isn't it? Wow. Yeah, yeah that's incredible. That's where, that's where we always have to think about, like, um, I mean, most owners just want, oh, you know, take this pill, it'll mm. fix everything. But we veterinarians, if we're being thorough, which we really are obligated to be with our, our patients, and, and as a holistic veterinarian, I'm always thinking about, like, all right, what are the 10 things that this could be besides just the one very obvious thing? Because we always just want, really want to think about whole body health. Mm. We really owe it to our patients just to take take the time, have very thorough discussions with the clients, be willing to investigate deeper by doing diagnostic testing. Like on the skin, you can do, um, say you think the dog has skin allergies, but also maybe it's looking a little bit like it could be infection, like the inflammation is a little more, is a little more red. There's some bad odor coming from the skin. You can do skin impression smears where you press a glass slide down to the skin surface, which picks up some of the moisture and cells that are on the skin surface. And that's um, put through a series of stains and evaluate under the microscope and that way you can see is there are there bacteria are there yeast that need a different treatment besides say just like a shampoo so we want to always like be dedicated and 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 um, open to our clients to help to really do the appropriate um, professional medical workup so that we can prescribe the most appropriate treatment yeah yeah do you know patrick i often wish that i could go and see a vet instead of a doctor because <laughs> generally in my experience vets are so much I'm sorry doctors listening, but vets are so much nicer than, you know, your people doctors. And I'm just like, why can't they t- treat me? <laughs> you know, I'm not sure about the healthcare system in your part, of, in, in your country, in the U.S. I think that's the case. Like, I've gone into the ER for back problems before and, like, the doctor barely touched me. And he's yeah. like, okay, take this, these medications and rest. I'm like, but what about... All the other things that could be going on is my disc bulging more than it was 10 years ago. Like, maybe I should have an MRI. Like, mm. give me the time. And that's actually what I do. Like, I have a kind of um, concierge-style holistic house call practice in Los Angeles. So I go to my clients' homes, and I'm there for, for an hour to two hours, and we're deeply investigating what could be going on and also trying to think of other ways to help to try to manage conditions besides just conventional medications. Like I do a lot of supplement therapy. For example, patients that have skin allergies very often greatly benefit from the addition of omega fatty acids to their diet, especially fish oil-based omega fatty acids, Hmm. which have a naturally anti-inflammatory effect for the skin and also create a nice like fatty lipid barrier that can help to keep allergens out. So there's a lot of ways that um, we more holistically minded veterinarians can help our patients besides just relying on medications, which potentially have side effects. Like steroids are pretty commonly used for skin allergies, but they have a lot of undesirable side effects like water, increased water consumption and urination. So suddenly your dog's going to like drink a lot and could pee in your house. Mm-hmm. Or your dog could be hungrier and um, not only eat his own food, but could eat the cat's food or start scavenging on things that are outside that maybe he shouldn't eat, like dirt or feces or something. And that creates a whole new host of problems. So it's always important to try to minimize the medications that have potentially negative consequences. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, um I'm really interested in what kind of things, what kind of allergens can affect our dogs? Because, I mean, for example, can they catch, can they, can they, can they suffer from things like hay fever as we do? And also in, in the way that some people can have quite specific allergies to cats or horses or whatever. Is that the same with dogs? 
Yes, and actually dogs can be allergic to dog dander or cat dander. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> or, or human dander. Hmm. So, so your, your cat or dog could be allergic to you or to other cats and dogs. That, that definitely happens. It's a little, that, that requires some specific testing to work out. Mm-hmm. But um, certainly, excuse me, environmental allergens, extreme, extremely common seasonally. I mean, we, in Southern California, it's so dry here. It's so warm here a lot that we have this very long blooming season that seems to happen year-round. There's always something blooming here in Southern California. So when I moved to Southern California 10 years ago, it was remarkable to really see the year-round nature of skin problems and eye discharge and, and nasal discharge and things like that in my, mostly my dog patients because most of my cats stay inside, so they're a little less affected by outdoor allergens. Um, so... Yes, anything, and this could be this could be pollen, this could be molds, this could be high winds kicking up dust. There's so many things that could trigger allergies on our pets. Oh, gosh, that would be so sad if you if your dog was allergic to you. How on earth do you <laughs> deal with that? My goodness. Um, so we can help to reduce the allergens that we are shedding by regularly bathing. Hmm. Of course, make <laughs> sure we're showering hopefully at least every day. Um, we can use um, exfoliants to try to remove additional skin from the skin surface. We can moisturize our own skin so that we're not going to be shedding our own skin cells as much. And perhaps we need to then maybe work with our own doctors to see if there's an underlying health reason why we are having this condition that could be affecting our pets. Typically, the allergens that our pets are exposed to are going to be environmental um, and then a little bit less likely but still possible food. So don't be too afraid that your pet's allergies <laughs> are being caused by you. Yeah, Unless, yeah. of course, you're like coating yourself in perfume or burning incense or smoking uh, and smoking cigarettes or marijuana or something like that yeah. in your home. All those are potential irritants that can affect your skin, your pet's eyes and your ne- and the nose and the skin. Mm-hmm. I know some cleaning products as well. I, I steer clear as, oh, yeah. as much as I can of housework and, <laughs> and cleaning products, but... <laughs> We have something. Um, sh- well, I won't name it, but it's a it's a powder that you sort of put into your um, carpet and leave it for a while, and then you you hoover it or vacuum it out, and that can have a really bad effect on on dogs' paws and so many things that we do. We don't realise the repercussions for our dogs, do we? Absolutely. So, and that's this incredible thing you have to think about. I'm really glad that you brought that up is that there can be um, anything that we put in the environment that sprays in the air that could be cleaning products or something you plug into your wall like an air freshener or something you could put in your carpet and hoover up um, is going to potentially cause some issue with your pet if they're sensitive to it. And not only are they going to maybe inhale it or have it get into their eyes or on their skin surface, but it can, they can lick it off the ground or off their paws, and that could cause irritation on the insides. Mm-hmm. So we have to think about all those things when it comes. And really just trying to make our, our home as, as allergen deficient as possible to help to protect our pet's health. Yeah. Yeah. So sort of as we're, we're moving sort of towards summer and when presumably, although you're, you have gorgeous weather all the year round, presumably <laughs> in summer, um, there's going to be more allergens out and about. How can we, because obviously our dogs love getting out and about, but it's sad if that's make, making them feel unwell. How can we help them when they are out and about? Sure. So um, I think really being cautious of when we have a really high allergen time. And if we're taking our dog outside in those times, then when they come back inside, maybe we need to think about wiping off their paws or doing a localized shampoo of their paws to try to remove allergens from the paws. Because very often they're like traipsing through grass or something like that. And that's Mm -hmm. how... 
that it's it's that contact that can affect a pet and create irritation to the skin. Um, maybe we think about putting a saline drop in our pet's eyes after they come back in from outside, or maybe we do it before they go outside and once they get back to try to rinse out irritants from the eyes so that they don't linger on the surface of the eye and cause inflammation. And then certainly um, having at least an annual examination with your veterinarian, if not more frequently, for um, for healthy adult dogs and cats, I suggest having an exam at least every 12 months. I actually see my patients a lot more frequently than that, but if we have um, a sick animal, a patient that has to take medication on a consistent basis, then an exam at least every six months, because that physical exam lets, it's the opportunity for you to share with your veterinarian what your concerns are, and it's also the opportunity for the veterinarian to look at your pet and determine, okay, I think this is normal or abnormal, and then determine if we need to do any testing or prescribed treatment. So having that ongoing relationship, ideally with one consistent veterinarian, I mean, it's great if you go to the same hospital every year, but what if every time you see a different vet, it's like a, seeing a brand new vet every time pretty yeah. much yeah. so that um, you don't have the same like consistency. And, and so that, that long-term relationship is really important. That's why I, like, I end up working with my patients until they move or they are no longer with us for health reasons. Yeah, yeah. It's great if you can find a vet that you sort of, you're on the same <laughs> wavelength with and you trust and your dog gets on well with. It is wonderful because it does make a difference that you can relax and kind of think, well, I'm in good hands and, you know, my dog's in good hands. It really does help. Yes, absolutely. And and it's just such an important thing to have that long-term relationship because that person is going to ultimately best understand your pet's intricate um, wellness or illness issues and if, if that vet, say, isn't quite working for you because maybe the skill set is limited and your pet needs to see a dermatologist, then hopefully that vet can refer you to a dermatologist that he or she has shared patients with before so that your pet can get that more thorough workup for, for skin problems related to allergies. Yeah, yeah. Were you inspired to go into this? Did any of your own dogs um, suffer from allergies or is it sort of from seeing patients suffering with it that's you know inspired you to really sort of get to grips with this well um going through vet school skin is always like the scariest topic skin and cancer i think because Mm. there's so many complicated things that go with both of them it's not just like a simple treatment it's not like i want to prevent my dog from having rabies i give a rabies vaccine it's it's much more complicated than that so i think until you kind of get your feet wet actually in clinical practice and you start to see the trends of cases and why this works, why that doesn't work. And and you start to look a little deeper, like maybe talking with um, dermatologists or internal medicine specialists or having your patients go see them. And you really kind of get more of a sense of like the complicated, intricate workings of, of, hormones and glands and skin environment and food and all that it it does take some time but I I just personally find it quite fascinating I've actually had some skin problems during my lifetime nothing like severe but acne uh, during my uh during my teenage years and into my mm. adulthood. I'm like, I'm 42. I shouldn't be getting this anymore. <laughs> Fortunately, it's mostly under control. Um, mm. or, or I've had psoriasis, which is an immune mm. system issue where as a result of like in one, at one point in my career, I was working crazy hours, like, like 24 hours in a row, long overnights, things like that. And so I was just under more stress than my body really was handling. And so I developed irritation to my skin as a result of um, like contact, like with clothes and so um, I had to go see a dermatologist for that. And so I just find it really interesting, uh, skin in general. And so um, I also really am fascinated by like the, 
the um, effect of nutrition on skin health. And that's why I'm really focused on my patients eating diets that are human grade and whole food instead of processed foods like kibble and most can't. Because unfortunately, what goes into kibble, at least in the US, I'm pretty sure in your neck of the woods too, is considered to be feed grade instead of human grade. So it's a it's already been deemed unfit for human consumption. Mm. It's generally lower quality and has higher permittable levels of toxins, including mold-based toxins that could cause an allergic type response in your pet or could make them very sick. So I really focus on my patients eating very fresh, moist, whole food like we do, either home prepared or there's um, a commercially available brands like the Honest Kitchen or Lucky Dog Cuisine. Um, Honest Kitchen is a dehydrated product that you add water to and you have a complete meal and Lucky Dog Cuisine is a cooked frozen product for dogs that you just defrost and serve. So that's very much like both of them are like making home prepared foods for your dog that are already nutritionally complete and balanced for for life stages. So um, there's a lot of things that unfortunately we we owners are not as aware of that we kind of get confusing messages from media and from veterinarians like we just look at that dog food bag and think okay it's got a picture of a real piece of steak on it and maybe some some uh, like vegetables but then you look at the ingredients and it's nothing of the sort and so um, there's a lot of confusing messaging out there to people and I think the the pet industry is doing a disservice to owners by saying that eating processed dogs and cat foods are the most appropriate thing for pets or like fake meat treats that have um, chemical preservatives that are known to be cancer-causing mm-hmm. or um, simulations of moistening agents that are very chemically similar to antifreeze that uh, provide moistening. So we Gosh, poison our yeah. pets in a lot of ways, uh, in, uh, either uh, pr- either um, intentionally or <laughs> unintentionally, yeah, and it yeah. frustrates me as a, as a healthcare provider. Yeah, I can imagine. It's, it is a minefield, isn't it? You go out and you think you're doing the best and you can get yeah, it wrong so totally. easily. Mm, totally. Yeah, yeah. So if somebody's listening to this um, and, and their dog is suffering at the moment and, and sort of they, they think it's an allergy, what should they be doing right now? So they um, so definitely make a record of it. I mean, make some kind of like diary entry. Um, a lot of us have, have very um, easily usable calendars like I, mm-hmm. I'm an Apple user <laughs> so <laughs> so I use iCal so when you see something and your pet maybe make an iCal entry for the day of what you're seeing are you seeing eye discharge sneezing coughing itching of the skin licking things like that and and so make a record of it and try to keep track of it over a couple of days and if it seems like it's worsening or at any point if you just are, are concerned make an appointment with your veterinarian and go prepare to provide a thorough history based on their questioning as to how your pet is doing like energetically on a day-to-day basis are they eating what are they eating how much are they eating how often are they eating um including including foods treats and human foods um are they pooping and peeing normally are they having vomiting diarrhea coughing or sneezing what medications do they take what supplements do they take and go prepare to really give your vet this clear picture from your eyes as to what you're seeing so that your vet can best understand. And and I always love when my clients are are willing to take a short video or take a couple photos Mm. and share them with me. And that way I can see exactly what they're seeing. And and so that really actually has, I think, been a great benefit to human and veterinary medicine is the advent of things like smartphones so that owners can help to capture what they're seeing because sometimes they're seeing something and then the pet goes to the vet and the vet is, the, the pet looks totally fine and they're not exhibiting the same 
signs. Yeah, yeah. So have that like record that shows this is what I'm seeing. This is what's concerning me. That's a great idea. That my vet had better get ready because there's going to be <laughs> next time. I mean, heaven forbid, but next time my dog has symptoms, photos and videos. That's it. That's right. a brilliant idea. Yeah. I mean, it's important you go in for the exam. We don't want to just do like a virtual no. exam. No. Actually, like legally, you um, we veterinarians are at least in, in the U.S. are um, we are required to examine our pets at least once a year in order to be able to prescribe treatment. Mm. And just from a like most appropriate ethical treatment standpoint too, if we're not looking at our pets with our own eyes, not through a camera, yeah. <laughs> but actually <laughs> sitting in front of us and touching our, our, our patients to do our physical exam, we're really kind of doing a disservice to them because it's the body changes. I mean, animals mm. age much more rapidly than we do. Yeah. And so if we're not examining them every year, we could be missing a lot of health issues going on and not appropriately addressing the bigger picture. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. But uh, I mean, it, you're right. It, it, it is, it's a brilliant idea to sort of, you, you can take those videos and photos and take them with you to inform the vet sort of about what's, you know, if the if the symptom isn't happening at the time you go to the vets. But yes, nothing can be an in-person sort of face to nose, as it were. <laughs> sure. Yeah, so, face to nose, I like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's some brilliant advice there, Patrick. Thank you ever so much for that. Um, where can people find out more about you online? Probably the best place is just to go right to my website. So um, my website is myfirstandlastname.com, P-A-T-R-I-C-K-M-A-H-A-N-E-Y. So you can find me and learn what's going on. Actually, I do a lot of consulting for companies, and I write a lot about nutrition and holistic health. And actually, uh, my my own dog, Cardiff, has really been the greatest muse for my veterinary practice because he has been through some very severe bouts of of autoimmune type disease. Mm. And also he's in remission for his second occurrence of a um, awful, awful, usually fatal cancer called T-cell lymphoma. Mm. And so I document his journey through cancer and wellness and everything that kind of goes into his, his treatment process for pet MDs, the daily vet. And so um, that ultimately appears on my website as well. And so um, you can read about what's going on with Cardiff and how I take a holistic approach to his, his cancer management if you um, visit my website and maybe sign up for my blog. <laughs> great, great. I mean, that's, that's a really important issue to, to sort of get out there, that cancer is not the... The, the death knell, if you like, that it used to, you know, cancer sort of was a, a big, that, that's the end kind of thing, it's going to be fatal. But now there is so much that we can fight cancer with. I, I think there's never been so much hope for people or animals who, who have cancer and there's so much work going into it, isn't there? Absolutely. And there's, there's a lot of research that's going on from the perspective of um, what are new treatments that can make our pets' uh, cancer treatment more specific to their particular disease. Mm. For example, Cardiff has this type of cancer, T-cell lymphoma. Hmm. So part of his treatment during the second course of chemotherapy, which actually in his case is ongoing, he gets chemotherapy every three weeks, alternating two drugs to try to make sure that cancer cells are not dividing and becoming tumors. So we're trying to kill those cells before we're actually going to create a clinical disease that he is going to get sick from. Um, Mm -hmm. So he actually handles his chemo well, but part of his treatment in this second time was a very specific treatment, an antibody treatment, kind um, kind of like giving your pet a vaccine. 
but in this case, we're feeding antibodies into his body that help to trigger his immune system to then recognize cancer cells, his specific type of cancer cells, and clear them, mm-hmm. which is very different from what chemotherapy does. Chemotherapy yeah. just directly kills cancer cells, directly kills healthy cells. Yes, yeah. So in this case, we're actually like trying to teach his immune system to do a better job in itself to help to make sure that those cancer cells don't become new tumors. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, that's amazing. Because um, Buddy's had some um, mast cell tumors. My my Labrador's had some mast cell tumors. And sorry um, to hear. <laughs> I, I know. Well, so I'm just touching wood. But so far, um, I mean, it was it was just a bombshell. When when you hear your dog's got cancer, you you just go into shutdown and meltdown and you panic. Um, but so far, we've been very lucky, and they've been removed with clear um, margins and. Um, you know, so that's what we've we've gone through. But I I know that there's so much um, research going on, and 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 work going into this that it, it's not the you know you, yes you will all be would be shocked when you hear the word cancer. But you know there has never been so much hope around. So don't give up. You know because I know sometimes when people think oh gosh there's a lump or you know whatever the symptom is that makes them think it might be cancer some people might be tempted not to go you know to stick their head in the sand not to go to the vets not confront it but that's the wrong thing to do isn't it get out there because there's never been so much hope absolutely yeah. you want to if you are if you see, here's the thing if you see something do something if you see a lump or some kind of change on your skin's your pet's skin surface and it's the size of a pea or larger, get it checked out right away because your vet can do an examination and something called a fine needle aspirate, which yes. you probably had done on, on That's Buddy it. as well yeah. from yeah. cell, where they put it. It's not like you have to take the whole chunk of tissue to start out. You can just put a needle in the tissue. Mm-hmm. That pulls back on the plunger, gets a couple little cells in the needle that goes on a microscope slide and is evaluated at the lab or, at, or in, the, in the veterinary hospital. Some vets can just examine things right there. So you can get a baseline idea of is this something more serious or is this something not serious at all? So, so see something, do something. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, thank you ever so much, Patrick. That's been brilliant advice and um, the best of luck with, with carrying on helping so many animals. Thank you. I'm going to continue to do it until it's um, time for me to retire, maybe in eight or ten years. We'll have to see. Like, When is the time for Patrick to have a life and not just be like, constantly serving the needs of his clients? Yeah, <laughs> we'll yeah. And, and have a sit in that lovely sunshine you've got. I know. Like, I'd love to just like hang out for the day instead of yeah. driving all over various parts of LA seeing patients. But you know, I'm I'm very fortunate to have um, moved to Los Angeles as like this is where I want to live, and then having the, kind of the the vision to start my own practice, which I serve clients on a house call basis. So I have a very good practice lifestyle where yeah, I I, yeah. Um, I dictate for myself. I want to see the, this particularly these patients. Um, I want to work with very specific owners who are very much like emotionally and financially, fortunately invested into fu- doing the best for their pets. So I really, I've really kind of created a very uh, perfect practice setting for myself, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stop doing that anytime soon. I'm glad he's not going to stop helping pets and their people anytime soon. If your dog is plagued with allergies, I hope that helped because it's horrible when your dog is ill and you can feel so helpless, can't you? We have the links to Patrick's website and his Facebook and Twitter pages on the Dogcast Radio site to help you find out more about helping your dog. If you've found something that helps your dog's allergies, do let us know, because it might well help others coping with the same problem too. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. 
Do you ever read a book and think, no, it shouldn't happen like that? Well, check out the latest innovation in romantic fiction, Macy's Choice, which puts you in charge of the plot as you make life-changing decisions on the main character's behalf. At the end of each chapter in Macy's Choice, there are always two options, and you choose what happens next. With over a million and a half words, that's over 5,000 pages, 256 chapters, and 128 different endings, Macy's Choice is an e-book you can reread again and again, making new choices each time to vary your experience to find love with each of the three heroes. To find out more, visit macyschoice.com. That's M-A-C-I-E-S-C-H-O-I-C-E dot com or search for Macy's Choice on Amazon. When toileting, dogs like to align themselves with the Earth's magnetic field and poo along a north-south axis. In England, work is underway on a planned bypass road near Norwich. This has entailed removing and relocating many of the protected great crested newts from the area. What's that to do with dogs, you say? Well, quite a bit, actually, because Rocky, a two-year-old sniffer dog, has been brought in to make sure the area really has been cleared of the special animals. It's down to Cocker Spaniel Rocky to detect any newts still lurking, and he's spending a week sniffing along the 12-mile route. Wagtail UK has many sniffer dogs who detect various species of wildlife which enables ecologists to study the species they seek to preserve without disturbing them. It takes months for a conservation dog to be fully trained, but once they are trained, the dogs can search areas and locate species much quicker and easier than humans can. So, we know that dogs can do some things much better than we can. But a new canine talent emerged recently when a German shepherd dog named Panther carried out a very unusual service for his owner, Sydney. Ten-year-old Sydney had been plagued for months by a loose tooth which troubled her when she was eating but she didn't want her parents or dentist to touch the tooth she was however happy to let Panther help her and so she attached a dental floss to her tooth and the dog's harness then threw a ball for Panther the result one tooth pulled out one happy little girl and if you want to see the video of Panther in action you can see it on the Dogcast Radio site it can be tough for rescue groups to find homes for dogs, and in some cases their job is made tougher when the dogs in question need to be rehomed together. It's even more complicated when one of them has a disability. But that was the position for Dachshunds, Herbie and Hilda. In Salem, in the United States, the Marion County Dog Services Shelter was searching for an owner who would take on not just both Herbie and Hilda, but cope with Herbie's severe vision problems. The bond between the two dogs was clear, with Hilda helping Herbie find his way around, and the rescue hoped for a special home for the pair. Thankfully, they got just that when retired couple John and Dorothy Sinmar saw Herbie and Hilda online, and were happy to drive five hours to meet the dogs. John and Dorothy had lost their 16-year-old dachshund just two months before, and had begun to be ready for canine companionship when they spotted the Daxi duo on the rescue's website. After a successful meeting, Herbie and Hilda had their new loving home, and John and Dorothy had not just one, but two devoted dogs in their lives again. Another issue for rescue organisations is getting more than they bargained for when a dog they take in gives birth. This was what happened when a foster group in South Carolina took in a Labrador cross they christened Mama. In time, Mama and her pups were transferred to New York's North Shore Animal League America, and the puppies found new homes quickly enough. 
but Mama needed some training to help develop her socialization skills. However, a routine vet check found bumps on Mama's body, and a follow-up X-ray revealed that the poor dog's body was filled with birdshot. This might explain her fearfulness, as she had obviously been through something traumatic. Lovely Mama is now hoping to be placed in a foster-to-adopt home, and you can find out more about her and see video of her via the Dogcast Radio website. And finally, onto a young dog who was in serious trouble in Florida. Officers from the St. Lucie County Sheriff's Office were at a house in the Fort Pierce area when they heard a whimpering and spotted the pooch. It transpired that a poor puppy had fallen down a septic hole. The officers rescued him and cleaned him up. But despite posting very cute pictures of the young dog online, no one came forward to claim him. Happily, though, one of the deputies who saved the dog adopted him, and now newly named Puddles is living happily ever after. And hopefully, staying clear of danger. During the first week of a dog's life, ninety percent of their time is spent sleeping, and ten percent is spent eating. As soon as I saw Sally Guttridge's article, Ten Great Reasons Not to Copy Caesar Milan," I wanted to share it with other dog lovers. The way we train and treat our dogs has a profound impact on their quality of life. So why wouldn't we strive to use the best methods to train them? Here's Sally to tell you a bit about her background with dogs. I'm not a dog trainer. Um, I'd say, if anything, I'm a behaviour advisor. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, I'm a freelance writer. Um, I was a dog trainer for, for many years, and I trained army dogs Um to in protection and in arms explosive search and drugs detection. I went out to Northern Ireland and Kosovo working dogs that I trained, which was great. Yeah. Um, I also trained hearing dogs for deaf people, but in the last five years or so, I've just I've become a full-time writer. Mm. Um, I do do a little bit of behaviour help, uh, but not much because I'm really busy with writing. Yeah. Um, but I have done quite a lot of study over the last few years, and I studied with the International School of Canine Psychology. Mm. Um, so ha- I'm qualified, um, and I'm registered with the um, Animal Behaviour and Training Council as a... Um, accredited animal behaviourist so I use that mostly with my writing at the moment yeah yeah it's it's a good way to sort of get the message out message out to people isn't it with your writing you can get to a lot more people than you could in just a class or something okay so yeah yeah okay we'll let's we'll move on to Caesar Milan then because I find it quite surprising that apparently otherwise intelligent, reasonable people will quote Caesar Milan to me when you, when you tell them you're sort of in the dog world. And that just amazes me. Do you find that? Yeah. I mean, the amount of times that you kind of hear you've got to show him you're the boss. Or, oh, yes. Yeah. Um, I'm too submissive with the dog, which is why this is happening. Or um, I need to take control and be the pack leader. Mm. And don't it, it makes you shudder. Yeah when yeah. you hear it and and how many times you say dogs aren't wolves dogs know that people aren't wolves um wolves the wolves that were studied in the first place they don't even count as a wolf pack because the wolf packs 
family and you just have to explain it again and again and again yeah yeah you see this is this was one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about this because I've tried to explain this and I'm not qualified you know I've talked to some some wonderfully qualified people but I'm not qualified at all and so when I try saying this about you know that wolf research to friends and family I kind of get looked at like you haven't got a clue you're making this up so I thought right I'm going to talk to Sally. She obviously knows what she's doing. I'm going to get it from, from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Um, so I think it's brilliant that, you know, someone who does know what they're doing is, is writing in this way and, and getting the message out. I mean, why do you think that Caesar Milan's sort of a, a, a managed to become so influential? Is it the magic of TV? Um, I think he's charismatic people and I also think he's he's a very good marketing man mm. um, and he has a very good marketing team I really don't know why with so many questions about his methods and so many really well qualified scientists saying these methods don't actually count I don't know why he's still in the place of authority that he is mm. um, as far as dog training is concerned. No, no. And the way that people follow him, I don't... You know, people don't like change. Yes. And this has been um, a never-ending rumour that dogs are wolves in furry clothing for a, a very, very long time. And I don't know whether people grab hold of a little bit of that, that idea think they have information and then Caesar um, confirms it and because he's on television it must be right. Mm. Um, people tend not to look towards scientific findings, do they? When yeah. Um, yeah. they've got someone on television in a very influential manner telling them that this is the way that it is. Yeah. No, it's if you um, wrap it up nicely for them and make it palatable and easy. Yes, it does seem to, to sit well, doesn't it? Yeah. I don't know if you saw um, the article I wrote about um, is it more about our ego than the dogs? Mm. Um, but I do wonder whether we... Caesar's has given them a one answer to every single problem that they have. Mm. And he says, if you do this, this and this, then the dog's problems will be all over. And we like that, don't we? Yeah, quick fix. Um, yeah, we're, we're very much a quick fix nation. And the other thing is, um, by saying that all of the dog's problems are down to lack of leadership by the person, it puts responsibility of the dog's behaviour onto the dog. Yeah. When really, for the dog... Um, to behave in a certain way, most of that behaviour has been reinforced by the environment that he lives in. Yeah. So we can say um, the the dog's doing this because he wants to take over the pack. Mm-hmm. And we can say, yeah, that's it. It's the dog's nature. It's not my fault. Mm. Whereas um, if we say to someone, look, your dog's doing this because you've made it happen by the way that you've reacted to it. People then say, no, I've not. 
So I think Caesar's way, by putting all the responsibility on the dog and all the blame on the dog for the way that he's behaving, actually suits us as people because it's better for our self-esteem, I think. Yeah, yeah. Now you've you've sort of mentioned that you know leadership and sort of you know I must be a pack leader and things like that. That still persists because I mean in the last oh gosh in the last four years I have been to a class and seen someone do an alpha role with a dog and I it just horrified me. But it's still out there. It's horrific. Yeah, yeah. There was something that was shared yesterday, and I think it was a dog that was in customs somewhere, and it mm. was shared on Facebook, and it was a video of a dog being very um, abruptly alpha-rolled, mm. and it was heartbreaking. Yeah. It was. Yeah. The dog was um, growling when food was put in the kennel with him, mm. so what they did was they went in with a bowl of food, and the dog growled, so he put the bowl of food on the floor grabbed the dog and just rolled him over Mm. what how can anybody think that that's communicating properly with the dog and then within two or three days the dog had bitten two other people that went into the kennel and there's no surprises exactly no 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 he hasn't only got the problem with the food he's got the problem with people oh gosh that's it's heartbreaking isn't it it's just oh gosh it is Mm. And when you look at the alpha role, Mm. it very rarely happens. It's even between dogs. Mm. It's it's offered by a dog that kind of says, "Okay, I'll give up." Yeah. Um, And and it's it's not. You very very rarely see a dog push another dog or physically touch another dog when they're communicating properly. Mm. It it just doesn't happen. And, and so for us to take that act of, uh, you know, I'll give up, and a lot of time it's in play, for yeah. us to take that and make it so physical and so scary, I just can't understand why anyone would want to do it. No, no, horrible, horrible. It's cru- I think it's cruel. Mm. And the thing is, it's it's stuck now in people's minds, but there is no basis why they do it I mean Caesar Milan sort of put it out there now but what do you think is the worst thing that Caesar Milan has has popularized I think that even uh, because all the tools and all the things that hurt dogs are Mm. um part of what he does I actually think the worst thing that he's done is made a huge gap between communication between dogs and people and mm. um, it's the communication that he's he's broken and that with every time he does an episode on the television or every dog that he touches or every bit of advice that he gives he's taking people further away from the actual understanding of the dogs that they live with yeah and i yeah. think that's the most upsetting thing that he's not teaching people how to communicate with their dogs. He's actually making communication much worse than um, much worse than it possibly was in the first place yeah. by saying that they're they're little wolves that need a certain type of communication. Mm. Um, and that's 
the thing for me. It's the gap between communication between dogs and people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and because of that, because of this gap, and because he's um, caused this huge rift in communication, and the dog is misunderstood. Mm. then to use training tools that hurt the dog to make it behave a certain way or to use threats or to use, you know, the tsk and pokes and, mm. and prods and all of this um, is really, really unfair. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's like I'm going to break your communication with the person that loves you and then because you're already confused, um, your behavior is going to become even less favorable to me. So then I'm going to forget about how you feel and I'm going to make you do something by threatening or hurting you. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's, that for me is the worst thing. Yeah. Oh dear, it's, um, it's, this is one of the things I wanted to address. I mean, I can remember sort of 13 years ago when I got Buddy, being quite frightened in the end by all this information that was out there, that, you know, you're, you're bringing a wolf into the house and you're bringing this wild animal into the house and you're going to have to <laughs> subdue him and you're going to have to eat in, in front of him and before him and all this. And, you can, and it was all about subduing him and, and it just made, it did, even me who'd waited years and years to get a dog, you kind of think, what am I doing? Am I, is this the right thing to do? So it's, oh, yeah. it is it is dangerous stuff to have out there. Um, is there any, Susan Milan's advice, is it in any way sound? Um, there, there are some things that he does that are good. Um, he gets people out walking with the dogs. He you know, let people know that dogs have certain needs, mm. um, which are exercise and, you know, the, the basic needs. Um, really, the understanding and the training advice to me is, is quite worrying. Um, but do you know, Julie, I don't know whether he knows how bad his training is mm. or... Does he know and just won't admit that he's wrong and make changes? Or does he actually believe in everything that he's doing? I don't know. Mm. That's an interesting question because, as you say, does he know it? Is he just doing it instinctively? I mean, is, you've talked about your sort of qualifications and your studying that you've done to understand dogs. What are Susan Milan's qualifications? I don't know if he has any. Mm. I think from what I can tell, he's just, he's advertises himself as a self-taught dog trainer mm. um, and there's no profession that I mean, I mean uh, maybe a self-taught guitar player or a self-taught <laughs> carpenter or something yeah, um, yeah. but you couldn't be a self-taught doctor and you couldn't be a self-taught child psychiatrist and you couldn't be a self-taught vet no, um, no. And literally, and this is what I say to people, 
if you were taking your child to see someone because they were behaving in a certain way, you'd want their wall to be packed full of certificates of achievement and study because you'd want them to know. You'd want to know that they were completely capable, up to date with all scientific findings, and have put a lot of effort into making sure the advice given to your child is um, as perfect as it can be. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when you question that with um, with an article like I did, um, the the people generally come back and say, well, experience is more important oh. than qualifications. Qualifications don't give you experience and you need experience to work with dogs kind of thing. Oh. Um, so, yeah, and, and I can safely say that yeah, experience is great, but unless you get stuck into the books and you start looking into scientific findings, you're never, ever going to be um, good enough to be able to help people properly yeah. with their dogs. Yeah. I mean, I can see that, you know, you need the experience of sort of, you know, looking at dogs and reading them, but you've got to know what you're looking for and what mm. behaviour it is that you're seeing and, and how to yeah. read them. Because I can remember... I observed Buddy in the early days sort of sitting, he got into the passenger seat and I was saying, get down, get in the car. And I was saying, get down and pointing to the floor. And he just turned his head away. <laughs> and I thought, mm. well, I thought, are we just not listening to me? And then it wasn't until I actually met um, Gwen Bailey and she was saying, you probably stressed him. And I, I, I had no idea. And, you know, with, a, with, with Buddy, that was just, he was saying, I'm, you're stressing me, just, you know, go away. And I, I wasn't in danger, but with another dog, if I'd carried on and carried on and pushed and pushed without knowing what signs I was reading, then I could have put myself in a nasty position there. So it does help if you know what you're seeing and it helps your relationship with your dog. Yeah. Um, let's, if, we, if we turn this away, turn this around now, because we've, we've discussed Caesar Milan um, and his methods. And, you know, we've said kind of, we don't like those methods um, and why, you know, with the, the scientific base is missing from them so yeah how how should we be training our dogs sally first of all i think we need to go right back to basics and understand that we've evolved together um wolves have evolved their way and dogs have evolved with people mm. um and when we look at it like that, we can only ever realise that dogs are just our friends. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we have to realise that they don't want to fight us and they don't want to get to a place in the house where they're in charge or anything like that. They just want to live in peace like yeah. we do. Yeah. Um, and they want to live in peace with us. Um, so to have a happy dog... Rather than um, look towards other people like Caesar, um, who is breaking the communication gap between dogs and people, we have to bridge the communication gap and we have to learn what it means that dogs are saying when they're showing calming signals or yeah. what they're saying when they're... Um, the displacement behaviour that they're showing when they're confused, when we're not getting the training right. And I think we have to bring that communication gap small and as small as we can make it yeah um and by doing that we need to learn body language um not much and, and it's all over the internet 
you only need to look for calming signals or body language or dog communication. And as long as you look in the right places, you can find so much information to be able to observe and really interpret what the dog's saying. And then all we have to do is adapt our own behaviour towards the dog um, in a way that he understands, I think. Yeah, yeah. So if there's a problem behaviour, we have to look at what we're doing to cause it and to reinforce it, and then what we can do to turn the problem around and reinforce something more useful instead. Mm. Um, So we reward the good behaviour. We don't blame the dog for the bad behaviour. We actually look back at ourselves and say, how did I reinforce that? How did I make that happen? And then we change our own behaviour to help the dog to learn something new. Yeah. And the thrill that I get anyway, and I'm sure most people are the same with their dogs, when you feel that you are working in partnership with your dog and you're actually doing things together rather than me saying, you know, do this and the dog sort of going, okay, I'll do it, don't, you know, out of fear. Yeah. That's such a thrill that you're working together and actually communicating, I think. It's amazing. Mm. It is. It's, I mean, when you look at communication with dogs and you think we're a completely different species, but we understand, we've only, I mean, you've had your dog for a lot of years, you must literally know what he wants when he wants <laughs> yes, it now. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when we can kind of understand that, understand what they want and when they want it, and acknowledge that they're all individuals and none of them are the same, like people, their personalities. I mean, they are all individuals, and I think sometimes that's, that's the great thing, but it's also frightening because yeah. you... Each dog is going to be different. Each dog that you live with is going to take you on a different yeah. adventure, you know, so it's their yeah. strength and their um, kind of the frightening thing. But if people do take this on board and move away from the Caesar Milan methods and use a more positive approach, what do you think, what would you say to them they can expect to happen with the relationship between them and their dog? Oh, it's, it's amazing. It, if you, if you stop looking towards the dominance focused dog training idea, everything will become much more relaxed. You'll start to really see the personality of your dog. Um, You'll start to see their sense of humour and have fun and really understand what they're saying. And because you've moved away from I tell you do or I do first, and all of that kind of stuff, the dog will then start to relax. And then the dog will start to have confidence to communicate properly. And then the confidence to learn. So it's almost like you you kind of draw a line underneath all the I'm the boss, you have to submit. And then you start to see twinkling of the dog's personality come through. And as they grow in confidence, when you applaud that personality, you start to see the dog that that they always were meant to be. Mm. Um, And it's lovely. It's amazing. It's the best feeling. Because if you think, if you were, if you'd been showing your dog that you were the boss, for three years 
and then you suddenly started to say, no, you're an individual in your own right. Um, I'm going to show you what I want you to do by rewarding you when you do it, and I'm going to stop punishing you or correcting you. You'll see a very different animal. Yeah. They'll start to feel confident and happy and, and far more secure because they'll feel understood. Yeah. And we should respect our dogs. Yeah, definitely. I, I wish every dog had that sort of home life. Sadly, they don't. That's why we're talking about this today, to sort of hopefully help more people see that they they don't have to dominate their dog. They don't have to be the boss and absolutely in rigid iron control. You can have that partnership with your dog and still, you know, both of you have a lovely life. Um, Sally, it's been fascinating talking to you. Where can people find out more about you online? Um, well, I have a website called Canine Principles um, and it's got a Facebook page and a Twitter page. So it's just literally www.canineprinciples.com. Um, so I'll, I'll be there. I'm a bit obsessed with it. <laughs> so, so I'll be there. Um, so if anybody wants to get in touch, they can get in touch through that website. Smashing. And we'll, so. we'll put the link on to your article, um, 10 reasons, you know, not to, 10 great reasons not to copy Caesar Milan. And, um, share that people share that because you know other people who aren't enlightened really need to know that there are there are better ways to train your dog there's one more thing Mm. that has just kind of come to my mind when when i was kind of thinking then it's i care about people as much as i care about dogs Mm. and and when you do behavior consultations you actually see a lot of um emotional people that are really struggling with their dog's behavior Mm. and they don't know what to do, but the dog's kind of the apple of their eye, and it, and it really, um, it's really hurting them that they don't know what to do to make it things right for their dog. Mm. Um, and I think when I see people that are told that they must dominate their dog or that are told that this is the only method that dogs understand, I find it really, really hard on the people too, and I feel sorry for them. Mm, mm. Um, because a lot of the time people don't want to be taking these methods but they believe that this is the only thing the dog will understand Um, so they're being deceived the the dog owners who love their dogs they're being deceived as well and and I think that's what I find equally as hard as you know how this training method is on the dogs yeah yeah it's it's just Mm -hmm hard on everybody involved isn't it yeah, yeah. well let's, let's hope that people take this on board and you know get that better relationship with their dog thank you ever so much sally it's been lovely to talk to you <laughs> it was lovely to talk to sally too there's a link on the dogcast radio site to sally's article 10 great reasons not to copy caesar milan so you can read and share with others the reasons to choose more gentle loving and effective methods to train your dog We also have links to Sally's website, Facebook and Twitter pages. And I suspect and hope we'll be talking to her again soon. A dog's shoulder blades are unattached to the rest of the skeleton, which allows greater flexibility for running. You may have heard about the Yulin Dog Meat Festival in China, which slaughters thousands of animals each year. 
Well, millions of people worldwide have signed a petition organized by the Humane Society International to put an end to the festival. And apparently, even local feeling is turning against the event. If you'd like to add your voice to the millions of others, we have the link to the petition. That's about it for this time. I hope summer is going well for you, and I hope you're getting more sunshine than we are here in the UK. But till next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D O G C A S T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on Julie at dogcastradio.com When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. The dog wondered why the baseball was getting bigger... Then it hit him.